drink beer, think beer. You're listening to Broodlands. Welcome to episode 88 of Brewbloods. We are, once again, recording from uh, our favorite spot, Good Friend. Being serenaded in the background. Yes. Quite lovingly. <laughs> we are fresh off a trip to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we went to see Willow. That's another city in Texas, Mark. That's it not is. Dallas. South of us, near Houston, Austin, all that whole, in the Hill Country area. They have we, like an Alamo or something down there. Yeah, it might be famous for the uh, basement of the Alamo. <laughs> you might have seen him at Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's yes. right. It's a famous bike got stolen. <laughs> Uh, we went to see Will Nelson, and if you want to hear the our Willie Nelson and San Antonio post game, we'll have that after this. But uh, we had while we were there, we decided to stop and try to get an interview. Now, uh, not with Willie Nelson, not with Willie Nelson, unfortunately. Although that would have been great, it would have been awesome. But we uh, we had the notion of trying to interview Scott Metzger at Freetail Brewing, and I wanted to talk to him because he was very vital in getting the brew pub laws changed in two thousand nine, two thousand eleven. Kind of like we talked to Michael Pedicolas about changing. Plus, we like laws. to talk to breweries. That- any chance we get anyway? Yeah, but exactly. yes, that's a very. But good that was, that's why reason. I was kind of I was interested in him. I didn't. I've never had his beer or anything like that. Unfortunately, the day of uh, on Friday, he canceled on us that morning. He had some emergency he had to go take care of. So he offered up uh, the guys from Free uh, Ranger Creek Brewing, uh, which is located in northeast San Antonio, and they're actually one of the few San Antonio beers we do get here. Very quickly, uh, the guys from Ranger Creek responded. Uh, only one of them was available. Uh, TJ, he is one of three co-founders of Ranger Creek Brewing. I think it's, you're one co-founder that's still pretty. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it was Dennis, TJ, and Mark are all the uh, are the three that started the brewery, and uh, we managed to get to uh, managed to talk to TJ uh, at the brewery in the tap room. TJ Miller, TJ Miller, and he talked to us about the history of the brewery and and they're the only how they're the first and probably only brew distillery in Texas. And uh, yeah. that means they hold a dual license to be a distillery and a, bre- a brewery. And I don't know much about the distillery scene, but uh, TJ does get into that just yeah, cool. across the state, which is pretty interesting. Right. And we there's a whole wide range of subjects in here, uh, some of which we didn't ex- expect <laughs> to get into, but we did. And hopefully you like just talking about alcohol, because yeah. there is some distillery talk. There is. So uh, after the uh, after we talk to TJ Miller here, we're going to get into our San Antonio postgame, what we thought about San Antonio and Will Nelson. So here's TJ Miller from Ranger Creek Brewing. <laughs> We're here with TJ Miller, co-founder of Ranger Creek Brewing and star of HBO Silicon Valley. Nice. I'm sure you get that all Except the time. Except I have no hair. So yeah. You actually see me. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, you don't support the same uh, level of facial hair as him either. Maybe you should make, make that your signature as well, like yeah. crazy facial hair. I actually went season. to the Apple store a couple weeks ago, and I'm like checking in at the front, and her name, TJ Miller. She looks at me. She's <laughs> like, he's like my favorite actor. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, we know nothing alike, but it's okay. Yeah, we recently uh, interviewed um, Todd Tebow from uh, Breckenridge, yeah. and he always people always ask him if he's related to Tim Tebow. Yeah. Right. So it's the same, always. No, I did this 48-hour film festival a couple years ago with a friend, Yeah, and they, they, you know, they aired it like one of the draft houses here in town, and... Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, on the screen, the credits it pops up. T.J. Miller makes it the only person they start clapping at, and I'm like, "No, I don't." No, think they stop! Know who that please is. stop clapping. Yeah, it's, You're it's, gonna be so disappointed. It's not who you think it is. <laughs> right. They're like, "How did they land that a talent?" <laughs> right. uh, well, thanks for uh, joining us or having us today, I should say. Um, we are not familiar with San Antonio's beer culture at all. Yeah. So we're from Dallas, and it sounds like you guys started in 2010, which is about the same time. Our second wave of breweries started kicking off in Dallas. Yeah, Dallas was probably more 2012 yeah. or so. Well, well, yeah, I guess that was the second yeah. wave, yeah, because Franconia came 2008-ish. So you guys were kind of in between there. So 
how was San Antonio? How was San Antonio then? Because Texas was kind of a blank slate when it came to craft beer prior to 2008-ish. And then you guys started in 2010. How have you seen how, – how was it then and how have you seen it change since then? Yeah, I think we're on that front end of that second wave, Yeah, right? So, you know, we started planning Ranger Creek in 2007. Wow. So at that time, one brew pub in the entire city, seventh largest city in the U.S. Mm. I mean, obviously, think about Dallas, too, sure. like how that's evolved over time. But, you know, you look around, you're like, holy crap, why has nobody, like, got a brewery or a brew pub in the city? Is something going on? Right. Um, so as we were planning this, you know, Scott over at Freetail, he started his brew pub here in town. So they had existed. But there hadn't been a production brewery in San Antonio since kind of Lone Star and Pearl kind of went out kind of, you know, late 90s, maybe early 2000s. So it had probably been, you know, seven, eight, nine years since there had been a production brewery in town. So, you know, every time you think you got a great idea, you go Google something, you look right. around, you're like, why is nobody doing this? It's impossible, right? But um, I think we're kind of on that front end of the wave, and, and, you know, we were unique in the fact that we were the first combined brewery slash distillery in the state of Texas, right? So we had gone back and forth kind of like let's be a brewery no let's be a distillery and we had gone to this conference uh, up in kentucky with the tobacco tax and trade bureau kind of our regulators and found out that we could do both right that we could work as an alternate proprietorship and came back to texas asked the tabc hey can we do this they said yeah you can do it so that's kind of where it started but you know from a craft beer perspective i think i tell a lot of people this you know our best account when we first started was in houston hmm. it sounds crazy right yeah uh, we were selling a lot of beer out there, and even Houston at the time, sure. blank slate in a way, right? Carbach hadn't existed, mm. no labels. Some Pretty much maybe guys. had St. Arnold down there. Yeah, I mean, so it's it just seems like, uh, like you said, almost the entire state of Texas was like this blank sl- slate right. for us, right? But I think San Antonio for us, how it's evolved, and we had had Blue Star as a brew pub here in town, kind of holding it down for a lot of years, um, you know, the supporting culture for craft beer i don't think had existed as much so we've always had the flying saucer right you guys got them in dallas or right. austin you know they're all around town you know i lived in nashville for a while we had one in nashville um you know they're all around and they, they really have supported the craft beer community but having the volume of accounts that you need to support craft beer right i think san antonio is continuing to go through this renaissance where we have kind of these culinary places open up that you know what they're trying to do and what we're trying to do and the flavors we're creating, right, and the things they're doing are, are complementing each other very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing, the types of bars that are opening up that, you know, before you wouldn't see craft on those tap walls. Now you're seeing 80% of those tap walls dominate with craft. And, oh, by the way, some of those are, you know, 80% local craft, right? right. So I think it's, it's exciting for us to see how that's evolved, and I think we've helped – be part of that you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, starting that and you know everything from starting san antonio beer week uh with with some of the other uh, breweries here in town to get that going uh to, to help these accounts kind of understand what craft beer can be and what it can do for those consumers even if i think about the food truck culture how that's exploded yeah. along with it's kind of parallel yeah yeah craft beer and it's i mean it's yeah. just everything coming up together and craft cocktail culture kind of came along at the same time so you guys kind of had both paths so we've yeah. kind of felt like for us, craft distilling is where craft beer was, like, right. late 80s, early 90s. I still think it's very nascent in that regard, right, where it's like there's so much opportunity. And for us, we've always wanted to be known as a whiskey distillery, right? Yeah. We do everything here from raw grain all the way through the process. We do it the hard way. Stuff sets in barrels two to four years. Um, it's a lot of waiting time within that. But, you know, over the, over the years, you know, there's two different you could get into kind of the dirty side of distilling with this as well which is a lot of guys are buying stuff from mm. 
other places out, well outside of Texas, but bringing it in, slapping a label on it, and saying Texas on it, right? Um, you know, everything we're doing here is some raw grain. It's a, it's a lot harder, but we feel like it's a more enduring way of doing it. And we've mm. been doing this now for, you know, what six, seven years. Uh, you know, we've gained a lot of knowledge about how whiskey ages in Texas, right? We've done a lot yeah. of experiments, and so, you know, it's these are years long experiments yeah, and agings and it's not simple like you turn a beer around in three weeks four weeks you know what you got you know that's what i've always wondered about because as much as i love beer i've always been interested in distillers myself and how do you start a distillery especially in this modern age it's not like you can jameson has all these you know these decades and decades and decades of culture behind them they financial culture i should say that they can afford to start a distillery and experiment and whatever like how does a modern distillery start up when it takes so long to get a proper aged whiskey out there I mean, I, I would imagine for you, because you have beer, you can support that financially through your beer growth. You can supplement your financials for whiskey and kind of offset that. Well, somewhat. I think that was kind of the thought in the beginning where it's like, hey, we can start two businesses for the price of one and a half, right? Yeah. But that never works out that way. It's, uh, <laughs> everything's got its own level of, of, of finance that, right. you, that you need with it. But I think there's two things to your question. I think there's an education component to it. Mm-hmm. That maybe I'll kind of tag legality onto it. But, uh, you know... When craft brewing was legalized back in like the uh, what, late 70s, right? You know, you can make beer at home easily. Right. You know, lots of guys are doing it. It's grown over time. You know, it's one of those things when people come here and talk about making beer at home. I'm like, look, dude, you can, you can get in trouble with this real fast. You can right. go from a beer kit somebody bought you to, at Christmas to $5,000, $10,000 in your garage, right? right? And you're like, your wife is upset with you. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, it's one of yeah. those things. But I think that's helped. If you look at a lot of the breweries that exist that have grown here in Texas nationwide, you see these guys at conferences and stuff. I mean, people have grown up from home brewing, mm. right? And maybe they go work for, for a brewery and they learn some more skills and they, t- they take it and make it professional. With distilling, it's illegal. It's moonshine. Yeah, you can't make the bathtub gin anymore. Right. Because right. you might blind somebody. You might. There's, there's reasons you might. Yeah. And, and, and look, I grew up in West Virginia, so I, I know. There's still moonshining out there? Of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't yeah. they, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think there's that component which hinders the craft distilling movement, which is how do you get the knowledge mm-hmm. to make anything, right? And it's either you're going to do it illegally yeah. and not get caught, or maybe you do it illegally and get caught. Right. Or you just start a distillery with no knowledge, yeah. right? And you might go bust because your product is not great. Right. Um, and so I think what you end up having is a lot of guys that are starting – we said earlier they're buying stuff from other people and they're doing it because one they just don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. right so we've always said a lot of times if you come at it from a brewer's standpoint you know how grains work you know how yeast works right. fermentations right you can understand the front end of how to make basically whiskey because it's essentially the one thing we loved about ranger creek was it shows this relationship between beer and whiskey because whiskey is essentially uh, beer, it's a little bit different yeast. There's no hops in it, but it's about understanding how grains sure. and yeast work and be able to ferment that stuff out. Now, the distillation's got a little art and science to it, but you know, we felt that distillation will begin taking its steps forward from brewers, mm. really forward, because there's this other labor issue you have, which is, you know, if you guys have been to San Diego or Southern California, there's so many breweries there, right? Yeah. And that scene is mature that labor can move across breweries because it's like people can go to other breweries and work, right? And we're here in Texas. We're just like, you know, we got to bring guys in that have no right. experience, and, and we just have to continue to invest yeah. in that type of 
education and professional development to, to continue growing the industry. And so, and think about that. That's on beer side, right? Where yeah. we have a lot more. I mean, but in distillation, there's guys out there that want to start distilleries, right? Guys that have a lot of money. They just can't find guys that yeah. can work for them because they just don't exist out yeah. there. So, yeah, there's not a lot of knowledge out there as far as, I mean, I think one thing we see um, right now just among brewing, although I, I suspect this will change, is that there's not a lot of brewing college programs out there to teach future brewers unless you want to go to Chicago or a, uh, I guess Illinois, uh, go to the University of Chicago, or you go to Bavaria. Uh, there's not that many states, at least. There's not that many programs. And I've been wondering, I think I heard that I think Eastfield or El Centro in Dallas had a program in the works to teach brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I had heard it was, I think it might have been El Centro, but that's something we're kind of lacking in this country is that all that knowledge is still in Europe. And it's either passed down here, you either experiment through homebrew clubs, and it's passed down from friend to friend or from brother to brother or sister to sister or whatever. Uh, or you go somewhere, you travel far away to go learn that knowledge and bring it back to the States. But the same thing with distilling. Like, I couldn't tell you how to go make a glass of whiskey. I have no idea. I, I know the, some of the theories, but I like all the interests involved. Like, I want to learn. I'd love to make some bath, uh, bathtub Irish whiskey. But Well, I mean, I, I think there's a certain amount of, you know, being in the mountains, you know, having uh, yeah. on-the-job training, right? Right. Uh, sure. To do that sort of thing. So kind of the... the the places you're talking about, like with Siebel, I think is what you're talking about kind of in Chicago. You, yeah. know, it's, you, you know, you can go through different levels of courses. Um, you know, for some people that are the uninitiated that have never done it, you right. can kind of go through get a base knowledge. I would say that a guy that's been working in the industry for even a year probably has picked up that base knowledge just from working inside the brewery, probably right. in different aspects. There are more professional degree programs. I think UC Davis has one. Okay, uh, Those tend to be probably more guys into a lot of the bigger breweries right because right. you're understanding a lot of you know engineering and and the design of a brewery and thermodynamics and things like that and so the really hard hard science yeah yeah the, yeah. Yeah, the sciences that maybe we you know it's yeah. like, hey i just want to brew beer man i don't want right. to know what happens when right. i you know put this hot liquid through a pipe and how it's going to work and yeah. the angles on it so you know i would agree i just i think that that craft brewing and to distilling, I mean, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, Europe is probably if you're going to get that experience yeah. there. But you know, again, we're we've got enough craft distilleries popping up that, you know, we're going to start having that type of expertise. I think be more right. prevalent sure. in the market. Maybe you know, I think Texas has kind of become uh, of most regions of the country maybe a leader in kind of whiskey, right? Because we've had Garrison Brothers that was early on. We've had Balcones. Uh, obviously us, you know, guys that are making stuff from grain all the way through. So, I, you know, I think that it's just going to take time for this to continue to mature. I know up in the DFW area we have Witherspoon, I believe. I yep. don't know if you've heard of them. but I sure have. Yeah, that's that's the only one I'm familiar with, actually, out of uh, locals. But yeah. yeah. Well, there's like uh, the Firestone and Robertson, I believe. They've got like the uh, TX whiskey, if you've seen that one okay, yeah, out there. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and again, you know, without getting into the, the specifics of this, you know, some of that's being made, some of it's not being made. Sure. So I, I'll allow you to explore that without, you know. <laughs> right. I, usually when people come on a tour, I'm like, hey, if, if you want to get off to the side and tell me what's in your liquor cabinet and I'll tell you whether it's quote unquote made here or not, then I'll yeah. do sure. that sort of thing. Fair so. Enough. So, just uh, given the state of craft beer in 2010 when you guys started versus uh, 2017, uh, again, we're more of an expert in the DFW area, but um, it seems to be the kind of the case across the state that it's kind of blown up in the last five, seven years. Uh, other than Austin, I guess Austin was always a leader, but uh, outside of them, has there been an effect uh, on your growth plans or anything with 
Houston and Dallas and all these other breweries. I mean, Dallas has popped up with, what, 60-plus breweries at this point. Have you guys found it harder to expand? Was expanding outside of San Antonio even an original plan, or did you guys want to be San Antonio first, and then if you guys can expand, that's good? Yeah, I think we got pulled into some of these markets early on, but I think what you see breweries do now is you have to defend your home turf. Uh, Mostly because I always, you know, if you walk into a liquor store, a grocery store, Look at all the beer on the shelf. There's so many excuses. Like, how do you decide, right? And it's like, how do you get a rebuy on some of that stuff, right? It's like, well, you know, a lot of the craft consumers are like, oh, I want to keep trying the new and and something different and something new. It's like fashion. It's like whatever's in season. Yeah, you can see I'm wearing my hoodie (laughs) hoodie right now. (laughs) Whatever's in beer fashion. Styling it up right now. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so it's like, well, well, how do you choose and how do you get a repeat buyer? Because, I mean, breweries have to build their revenue plans on selling beer and and reselling beer and getting loyal consumers. So I think that's why I wouldn't call it retreating to your home market, but focusing on your home market is probably very important for most breweries right now, especially as we have such a proliferation of skews, right? Because I don't, you know, you think like, oh, I got this great brand. I'm going to, I'm going to launch this thing in a big city, right? Oh, San Antonio, it's a huge city. Any other city. It's like, it's not that easy. You really got to go put some work into it and to do it. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, hey, is craft beer in a bubble? Is it going to bust? You know, there probably will be a shakeout. Uh, There's just too much on the shelf, I think. Uh, And and the retailers have to make choices about winners and losers, right? Only so much can go in the cold box. There's not enough taps. taps, right? So, you know, if you're not willing to go out and hustle it, uh, especially in your home market, then you're not going to make it. Uh, I think you're seeing some guys that are are saying, okay, I see that level of competitiveness going on, and I'm going to kind of make myself a brew pub more sell on site. There's something to be said for um, more of a European model of kind of a your your pub on the corner and while they often obviously they are controlled by bigger domestic brands over there because they've been bought out repeatedly um maybe someday we'll be at a place where our corner pubs have their own unique brews and maybe they'll own a pub here or there you know that they can transport them to and maybe they don't have to be mass distributed but you can still get a really damn good beer yeah i would say contact your texas legislator on yeah well it seems like you know for us our beer laws Every our, state's different, right? And our beer laws are different. We're not, than, we're not as antiquated as some, but we are still antiquated somewhat. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it still hinders us in a way. You know, we're probably the biggest contradiction out there because, you know, people always come on a tour here and it's like, okay, look, if you've been to a Texas winery, you can buy a, a glass of wine or a bottle right. on site. You can drink it and you can take it home with you. Buy a right. bottle, take it home. All right, if you go to a brew pub, right, separate license, sell food, do whatever, yeah. you can drink it on site, you can buy a bottle, you can take it away. Okay, now you get to a place like us, a brewery distillery. I can sell you a cocktail here. You can drink it. I can also sell you a 750-milliliter, 96-proof bottle of whiskey, and you can take it right out the door. But I can't sell you a bottle of beer beer to go out the door. That is just insane. Right, so it's like a huge contradiction. See, I didn't know you could do that with a distillery. Sell your bottle of – that's – that is insane. That's that law, absolutely insane. That law was changed at the same time that all the beer laws changed a few years wow. ago. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it just seems like as you think about a contradiction because people scratch their head, right? Because I, I would say there's this perception that, and you may agree or disagree, that wine is kind of a refined alcohol, sure. right? Sure. That beer is for the, is for the blue-collar, lowly sure. man worker or woman worker. And yeah. that distilled spirits is the stuff that gets you so fiery mad that you're going to go out and, the degenerates. and beat people up. Yeah. And, well, it's, and, it's the one, too. You're the, the degenerate uh, guy on the corner, you know, uh, without a home, or you're the uh, upper-crust pinky in the air 
uh, yeah. type of drink or any own. Right. Uh, yeah, total. Uh, kind of bridge the gap. Yeah, uh, total wearing purple royal types. So I, I think I would almost bet that if you went to any mixer at the legislative session, right, and they're right. out in Austin and they're doing whatever, that wine is probably what's being poured at most things, right? Sure. And they've right. been able to very smartly tie in agriculture to what they're doing. Yeah. You know, not to say that what all of us breweries are doing either is using, you know, like we're going through ten or 15,000 pounds of dry grain a week right now, right, that right. we're supporting wow. a certain level of agriculture. And some of that's in Texas and some of it isn't. Sure. Um, but we are supporting Texas farmers because it goes back and it's mm-hmm. feeding grass-fed beef and pigs. Sure. And chickens and all this other sure. stuff, right? So I think there's a tie back into that, but I think, you know, to your point, you know, if the laws are set up in such a way that allow us to continue, you know, getting our brands in front of consumers, because mm-hmm. I don't want to be a liquor store. I don't want to be a convenience store. I don't want to be a bar. We are a manufacturing facility. That's what right. we do. But we do bring people in in our tasting room on certain hours during the week at tours on Saturdays to introduce people to the brand, to introduce them to stuff, to educate them about what craft is. And then, yes, by all means, we want you to go out to the retailers of the world and buy our stuff. I don't want to have people knocking on this right. door all during the day to buy six packs and that thing. It's most of a brand brand. I think the distributors and the retailers and the legislative uh, impetus behind that, they're starting to get it. And I think it's just, you know, we've, we've made progress, and we just want to continue making progress. It's just that we see that TABC, with all the progress we've made, starting with Scott of Free Tail, uh, when he got the brew pub restrictions eased, uh, it was like 2011, I guess, and Pet- Michael Petticoles from Revolver recently um, with their stuff. Uh, but yet they still continue to fight, like, tooth and nail on every little decision. They, they are just dug in on, on beer for some reason. I will tell you what, though, I, like... I don't have really much bad things to say about TBC. I feel yeah. like those guys are doing their job. They're out enforcing. You're trying to keep people from drinking underage. You're trying sure. to, you know, they're interpreting the laws as the way they're written. And so I, they, they have a tough job. On they, they have a tough job and they're in it. They are, you know, interpreting laws and you may not agree with it or you may agree with it, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if you want to be able to do it, then you have to get Change your elected official to say that you can do it. And yeah. so you can't blame the TABC for enforcing right. what's written in the law. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I don't mean to blame TABC. I guess I'm, when I say TABC, I'm speaking of the whole uh, TABC plus Texas legislature. Yeah. I guess I'm speaking more to the legislature involved. But because, you know, Pedicolis, they recently got uh, HP 639 returned. And then immediately, of course, Texas... Uh, even though it was obvious, uh, they immediately appealed it, and they, they're going to maybe take it to, I think, the Texas Supreme Court. I mean, but, but again, that's, that's why there's an interpretation. That's why we have yeah. a court system. That's why we have I know. co-equal branches of government or whatever. It's we just, don't want to get into a conversation. Just, but, yeah, it's just it, it doesn't make sense sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like in the end, if you want free market, if you want to grow local business, if you want this, yeah. I think everybody will eventually come around to it and realize sure. that, hey, look uh, – Allowing craft breweries to sell a six-pack out the door isn't going to cripple anybody. Yeah. Okay? It's only going to make your business better because you're, you're introducing consumers, and we're hiring yeah. people, and we're generating revenue as craft brewers throughout the state of Texas. So yeah. I just think it's, it's – we're just, just like with all these bars and restaurants. We're just approaching it. It just takes time for it to yeah. sink in. We're going to get there. It's like, an, it's like turning a ship somewhat. It's, it's like turning an aircraft carrier. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a speedboat, right? Enough. So it's going to take a long, it's going to take a long yeah. arc to do that. So – to get somewhat political, I know you said you don't want to get political, but so <laughs> I'm just going to ask you this because this of kind course of, no one's political. I know, but it, this kind of this came up last night. So there was ne- there was news late last night. It was like 9:30 last night Central. Um, 35 crap brewers sent uh, notice to the U.S. Senate saying objecting to Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA uh, because they are objecting to his 
abuse of the EPA, and he, he's from Oklahoma, and he hates APA. And yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. We know we're all concerned about Flint, Michigan, and all that, all that jazz, yeah, yeah. right? That it could get even worse for everybody because obviously water is a vital component of beer. So, how important do you think it is to, for uh, beer to stay in politics? Because beer, beer, and the beer industry has been a victim of politics, going all the way, obviously, back to prohibition and probably way back before that uh, if you just go back to Bavarian tax laws um, they've always been the victim of, of politics and occasionally winning here and there we're you know as you said we're trying to turn an aircraft fair. Uh, alcohol so. has always been intimately involved in the politics of the nation right, right? you had the whiskey rebellion simply yeah. because they wanted to tax the crap out of these guys that were making mm-hmm. whiskey right so they, they sure. basically sure. go into Pennsylvania you know eventually you're not paying your taxes we're going to raise you so those guys pack up and move and, and let's be honest what the Tea Party was about. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't about Tea Party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and basically, I mean, obviously, don't mess with people's alcohol. Seriously. Right, exactly. Right? It's exactly. the same reason Prohibition fell. I mean, most of, I mean, politicians were still drinking liquor during Prohibition. Let's not, be, yeah. let's not be stupid about yeah. the whole thing, right? Right. So, I mean, but it's, it's just, you know, I think without being political about it, I think the way I see our consumers is that it doesn't, you know, really matter – whether you're a red or a blue or a green or an independent, is that white? I don't know if they even give them what color <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, but green, yeah, green is its own party. You know, the way we approach it is if you like beer, yeah. you know, let's, you know, we can sit down over a beer and talk about our differences of opinion on how to do things. Right. You know, my thing would be at this point, and without saying that we submitted letters about Pruitt being EPA sure. head, right, and all the other things that go, that go with it, that as long as we can have a rational conversation, based on a facts. Sure. If we can agree on facts yeah. and start the conversation there, then we can figure out solutions. I just feel like we're at a place now where we can't even agree that right. things actually exist, that the that. sky is blue, yeah. right, and other things. And I think that, to me, is part of the most concerning part, and, and, and that's why I would, would probably understand that why, at least for brewers, where we talk about quality of water and things like that, all that's important, right? It doesn't... It, you know, we got people, you know, when, when my parents live fracking, you know, in the ground and they're living on well water and they're very concerned about whether or not yeah, that's going to that be good, right? Yeah. Or yeah. that, you know, you've got, you know, coal mines that can dump stuff into, into the river, the river yeah. right? And you're talking about, well, does that make any sense uh, to you? Right. You know, and some of that's political and some of it's not. Some of it has real implications. And I think for any of us that have such a, 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 you know, raw materials in our process that's that important, then, yeah, I, I think that people are going to be concerned about it. But I think yeah. let's, let's agree on the facts of does it, make, does it make sense to even do this in the first place to yeah. kind of do these types of things, and then let's figure out what solution is. I right. feel like we're just, like, creating straw man problems to solve them at this point. Yeah. It's a frustrating problem, and, you know, a lot of people – because I, 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 this came up in my mind last night. I was just browsing through the news, and I saw this, and I thought about, well – you know, when celebrities speak out, they tell them, no, stick to being a movie actor. Don't espouse your opinions. And, you know, then the craft breweries turn around and they issue this letter to the Senate. And it's like, I would imagine there are a number of consumers that are like, I'll stick to making beer. Stay out of the politics. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, uh, as Anthony Bourdain has said many times, food is a great uniter. I feel like drink is a uniter, sometimes a divider, uh, <laughs> depending on your attitude at the it's moment. It's whiskey. It gets you red. Yeah, you know? depends, like, oh. <laughs> depends on the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, it could be a divider, uniter, whatever. But I think food and drink can be a uniter, and uh, I can see how some people would be very frustrated by that, uh, the craft beer industry sticking their nose into politics. But at the same time, I can see them being a force for good, not only in just this, you know, just this issue, but uh, the green industry as a whole, because you see a number of breweries making 
uh, green efforts across the board to try to recycle water. I, mean, I, I just, I went, I mean, everybody's a citizen regardless, right? Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I yeah. mean, you should be They're able to people. stick we, your, stick your nose in wherever exactly. you want to. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's frustrating. I, yeah. I just think it's, uh, you know, everybody should be involved. Everybody yeah. should be educated and you should make decisions based yeah. upon fact and what's best for everyone, regardless facts. of your party affiliation. And that's why I'm going to go back to facts. Again. Facts are key. I yeah. just feel like we have lost the ability to recognize facts. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that. I couldn't yes. run this business if I didn't agree that certain things were true and certain things were untrue. I could yeah. bury my head in the sand and pretend like they, they're not true. But yeah. then again, I would probably be out of business at that point. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I won't ask you questions about ice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you seen, so since you started the brewery back in 2010, uh, it's yourself and Mark and Dennis, right? We are the three co-founders. Okay. Uh, we have a few uh, kind of larger investors, the okay. six of them. Uh, that's that started Ranger Creek, yeah. So, I'm interested because you guys, from what I read, I just on based on your site, and I, I saw a couple of articles. Wikipedia uh, is not. No, no, no. What Wikipedia? No, I'm just was, kidding. It's not on Wikipedia. It was, uh, <laughs> a, a craft beer blog and one other. But anyways, yeah. you guys started right out of business school. Is that right? Well, no. I, you know, all three of us came out of business school. Oh, okay. I was an army guy. I went back. I got my MBA. I ended up coming here working in a financial services company. Okay. That kind of caters to the military. I won't name their name, but you could probably guess which one. <laughs> Um, but I had, I had, I had met Mark and Dennis and we were home brewing together. Uh, and I won't say that we were home distilling or doing anything because that's illegal. Sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, so we were doing that at home and, uh, you know, we started entering some competitions. We actually, honestly, people would be having like retirement parties. And I remember there was like a Notre Dame alumni party one time we knew somebody and they were like, Hey, would you brew this beer for us? And they're like, okay, what style do you want? And mm. so they get with us ahead of time. We'd brew it. We'd make a special label. And then we would show up to these parties and, uh, pour, pour beer for people and ask questions and get feedback and do that sort of thing. And it just kind of was one of those things that kind of led towards, uh, where we were going w- with it. Right. And, and then it's like, you're like, you look around as I was saying earlier about opportunity and you realize there's no microbrewery in san antonio the seventh largest city u.s right, right? and you're right. like oh my what, what, what's that all about right and so, so you start going through that you write a business plan and then you go out and you're like all right let's see if i can convince people to give me money now to help do right. this sort of thing and then all of a sudden people give you money and you're like committed you're like all right i have to do this now or i'm gonna <laughs> yeah i was kind of curious about that because we've we've heard like uh up in dallas we had uh, Rar and Sons was one of the first uh-huh. ones, and uh, Franconia was shortly after. And there was some discussion, especially from uh, from Rar, uh, how hard it was, <clears throat> excuse me, to actually find a place to get a tap. Uh, originally, he said Flying Saucer was a big support group and, and that kind of thing. But did you guys, since you guys were kind of early in 2010, did you find it hard to say, "Hey, we have this craft beer. Can you guys at uh, I don't know Chili's or something? Uh, can you guys have one of your taps dedicated to uh, one of our beers?" Yeah, I mean, just I was I was kind of referencing it earlier. I mean, just yeah. San Antonio was not as mature as yeah. a city, and it you know I, some places were open to it. The Flying Saucer, so we've been going in there, you know, be part of the club, get your plate on the wall, do that horse sort of thing, right? So uh, that's kind of one of those places where we kind of started as a company going in and talking about because they were really catering to, to craft beer. But yeah, I mean, it's like trying to convince people that what you have is you know maybe they had dealt with craft before from long ago or you know but this new whole wave no they hadn't seen it yet um it was a challenge i would say i would say san antonio in some regards is still behind most other major markets in texas okay from a from a number of breweries standpoint you could 
if you want a metric like that and say, let's just count the breweries, let's count mm. the brew pubs, it hasn't exploded. Like Austin, I, I feel like every week there's like a new place opening up, right? Sure. Houston's exploded. Dallas has exploded. I, I still feel like there's lots more opportunity for San Antonio. That's why I don't think that we're still – all of us still trying to figure out how to crack this nut here in right. San Antonio. Why, do you have any idea why that's still waiting to fire off? I, you know, I think every market's different. So if you're selling every market, it's a little different. You know, the way I, Austin in some ways it's, it's more of a, you know, people like to get together, go out at a bar, sit around, talk over a pint. San Antonio is very much a, let me buy my beer, go home, barbecue in the backyard, okay. kind of hang out sort of thing. Um, it, I think it's just every, every city has its own unique personality about it. And I think the way you tailor how you sell in that city is, is different. Um, I think with San Antonio, it's just, you know, we've just, we're just now maturing towards having the types of places that really are focused on craft beer right. and the cuisine. I mean, if you guys have been out here, I mean, the cuisine in this town now is just phenomenal. There's right. lots of great places, right? And we've got the Pearl that's down there now with, with lots of great restaurants. I think they're developing the Lone Star Complex and doing a whole new concept down there. Uh, you know, those are kind of larger things, but all the other little side places around town that have opened to help do that sort of thing yeah. are, are helping to kind of mature this market. Yeah, we've definitely seen in, in Dallas the craft cuisine culture merging where they have a lot more craft beer dinners that are paired with you know these, this high cuisine rather than obviously wine back in the day it would have been wine well we see more now with high cuisine being merged more with beer than wine because i think people have that perception of wine just being a little too snooty and to me like for instance most wine tastes the same but you know i, I feel like craft beer in some ways is, you know we have to guard ourselves against coming at that angle as well from being snooty sure. right because i think craft beer can be intimidating like if i think if i if i didn't know anything about craft beer right i'm uninitiated i go into the flank saucer i pop a menu open yeah right i'm intimidated i'm like i don't know what i order right and i'm like i'm hoping that my server in there they spend a lot of time training people right to kind of talk them through that that i can be a uh, approached enough and and introduced to it in such a way that I just don't revert back to something that I've always drank. And you go, all right, give me a Dos Equis, right? Which uh, is, a, you know, Budweiser took advantage of that in the Super Bowl a few years ago, talking about how snooty craft beer could be. Yeah, I, so I, I know exactly what you mean. No, we just, we have to, I think as craft brewers, we have to guard against be, being that type, being that guy, sure. right? If I could say it that way, which is we have to be open to anybody. I always say it's like, if you drink beer, it doesn't even matter if it's Budweiser Coors, and you have to respect the fact that those guys produce a heavy volume of beer, and they yeah. do it pretty consistently, right? Sure. Yep. And the, and just the logistics of the whole thing is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, if you already drink beer, then I, I've already got at least one in with you. You're <laughs> right. a beer drinker, right? So right. now it's just about introducing you to new flavors, and that's where I felt like I was fortunate enough early enough in life to like discover craft beer, right? right? Like I didn't wander in the wilderness until yeah. I was 50, and then I was like, yeah. oh. Where where craft beer been all my life and shake my fist at the heavens and you know sure. and wonder what's going on. So I just think it's one of those things. It's like us as craft breweries have to make it approachable. We have to get in front of people. We have to make beers that are also can path people sure. to bring them in. You know, you could talk about like is it a gateway? You yeah, know, like we have our own gateway drug in a way where it's sure. like we have to gateway you into craft beer. It's like yeah. I can't bring you off and have you drinking like a 120 IBU right. beer. Sure. And expect you to, like, initially, if you're coming from it from a Bud Light standpoint, I mean, of course you're going to be like, well, this is crap. Right. You know? Instead of craft beer. I had somebody call on the phone the other day. You guys make that crap? It sounded like crap. And I had yeah. to, like, refer to it like, are you saying craft or crap to me? <laughs> but, yeah. But I think that's where in our heads we have to be, like, approachable and communicate them with them properly and bring them in the craft beer the white right way and path them down, down the craft right. beer kind of continuum. Yeah, I, I think it's 
probably educating your servers for sure. So especially some places that, well, there's a number of spots around DFW that re- refuse to serve, uh, you know, bud and cores and things like that. And you really have to tell somebody like, well, if you like that, then you can like you can enjoy this beer. So for Ranger Creek, what would be if you if somebody was a bud drinker, a course drinker, what would you point them towards? I mean, for us, you know, we've just kind of moved. You know, we're moving to what we've been in this building now seven years. So when we started, a lot of our beer is very craft centric, right? Because you're when you're we were self distributed, so doing it all ourselves. You're very focused on craft type accounts, right? Uh, as a as a kind of a startup brewery and where we were going. You know, we just started with distrib- with a distributor in San Antonio last year. And so to really begin communicating that, we have to have the portfolio to meet that type of craft beer drinker. Mm-hmm. So for us, we've we've tried some lighter beers and we've tried a lot of different things. You know, we had a traditional German-style Hefeweizen that we brew that does very well. Uh, it's a great beer, but it's still we wanted to have something else that was lighter to help to kind of, as I just discussed, to kind of bring people into the fold and path them down the portfolio from there. So what we've got is, is you know, we're just releasing this next week, which is San Antonio Lager, traditional German-style lager. You know, we do a decoction mash on it. I'm sure everybody that's listening to this knows what that is. I won't go into the details of it. Uh, you know, we change water profiles, so we, we take some of the mineral content out with some with some RO water to kind of replicate Munich, Germany water. It changes the mouthfeel, changes right. the way some, some malting and, and, and hop character gets accentuated uh, within it. But to have something that might be a little more recognizable to people to kind of bring them into the fold, especially right. with the distributor, because once you get outside of kind of the craft arena, you start having to grow your circle outwards, right? Sure. And so to do that, you have to have a beer to kind of start pulling that outward circle down into the middle. And so that is how I would approach it. And then we have like our oatmeal pale ale, which kind of gets people started into the hops. Right. Right. And I think you guys are drinking the bourbon barrel aged version of that. Uh, I'm drinking the bourbon barrel wheat wine. You got the wheat wine. Oh, yes. he went with, he went with the 12%. Yeah. Beer. With the, the ass yeah. kicker. Yeah. yeah. He's almost done with it right now. Yeah. too. So, yeah. but you did the, the bourbon barrel aged. No, no, I'm sorry. You, I did the same thing. Same thing. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I thought you guys got OPA. Okay. Well, um, the next maybe, maybe next. Yeah, yeah. But OPA is that one beer for us. which kind of, you know, it's got some oats in it, bounces a little bit of bitterness, adds a little bit of different mouthfeel to it. Brings people into hops because, you know, we're using like citra hops in there. So mm. some people, pe- people were like, what did you guys add into this? Do you add like some type of citrus or something? It's like, you know, lemons or yeah. oranges. You know, no, it comes all from the hops, right. right? And so I think that surprises a lot of people when you can educate them and they, they kind of taste that. And then it's not like, I think some people hear hops, right? But they don't really know what hops yeah. right. is or how they're used in the process. And so... As you can explain it to them and get them to approach it and go, wow, this has a whole bunch of flavor, right? And then it's like, oh, now I'm not afraid anymore of something called a pale ale, right? Right, right? or something with hops in it. Maybe you try something with too much hops and you might be like, oh, I didn't like that, but at least you're not afraid anymore to try it. Right. Yeah. So we should note, by the way, if I read right, this uh, beer is being brewed in conjunction with San Antonio's 300th anniversary. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that, you know, we, we had had San Antonio Lager in the work since July of last year. And uh, Scott at Freetail was working on, uh, in the brew pub, they had done the Pale Ale, the San Antonio Pale Ale. And so we kind of knew both, you know, each other were doing these things on our left and our right. And so we had got together and talked about it just because we didn't want consumers initially to have any confusion about who was making what. Right. Right. Um, So what we talked about was how we might be able to do that, but also with the 300th tricentennial, obviously, of, of San Antonio being next year how we might be able to come together and kind of help highlight that. So this beer uh, that we're releasing next week, San Antonio Lager, will be kind of the first in that. And so okay. it's, in, it's, in, it's our first beer in cans as well. 
Um, you know, Scott's going to have San Antonio Pale Ale, which is coming out in draft in March, and then in the fall he's going to have cans of it. And then what we're doing is collaborating for a beer for next year for okay. the actual 2018 tricentennial, and still trying to get with the powers that be at the city or whatever to convince them that we should maybe be an official beer of something. Um, but you know, our 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 thing is for that is you know, can we do something with our beers where, you know. We'll each brew them at our different facilities, but can we do something in the packaging where if we put the packaging together on the shelf that it forms an image across their cans right. to our cans, right? Something that's very uniquely San Antonio yeah, sure. within that. Yeah. So, and you'll that's see cool. that in our design. I mean, our design is very uniquely San Antonio in color and design. Right. And Scott's has got kind of some Fiesta colors as well and some things in there as well. So we want it to resonate, especially for San Antonio. Not to say that if you're in Austin, you can't drink this, but, sure. you know, it's, yeah. it's a beer for San Antonio. Right. So uh, last question. Where do you... What do you want Ranger Creek to be in five or ten years, or where do you see it going in five or ten years? Yeah, we've talked about it, and it's unique because we have two sides of the business, right? I would say we had three when we had had uh, distributing our own beer because distribution is like its own animal in and of right. itself, right? Uh, for the brewery, you know, one thing we've talked about is is how big do you want to be as a brewery? I think if you're not a really large brewery right now, you're probably not going to be a national brewery at this point. There just right. seems to be a lot of people out there, right? I think for us, you know, we've kind of set our sights on, you know, if we get up into the 10, 15,000 barrel range, uh, that allows us to brew beers we like, to sell enough beer. You know, it definitely pays the bills and does that sort of thing and allows us to, to do unique creative things, right uh without always having to be focused on growth right do i want to be a hundred thousand barrel brewery sure. i don't think so you know we talked about it. that just doesn't 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 seem like type of brewery you want to be it's the same right. discussion you have with somebody it's like I'm, i want to be a brew pub right and i don't want to be super large i don't have to deal with packaging i don't have to deal with all this other stuff right right so i think for us that's probably about regional brewery status is about where we would do on oh, beer fair enough uh for distilled spirits uh you know sky's the limit on that one so you know we we're constantly every year we've continued upping production because uh, I think there's a lot more opportunity there, uh, at least where the market sets today. And, you know, uh, you know, last year I think we were like double production. We're adding more tanks on that side. But, again, this takes several years for right. this stuff to sit, so you're not going to see this stuff for a while, right? But it still requires an investment and time for us to do that right. sort of thing. So we're, we're still open on that side to continue growing. So you're open whiskey. to being Pappy Van Winkle at some point? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, you the know. Pappy Van Winkle of Texas? I have my own opinion about that. But <laughs> I just, I, you know, I don't know. With yeah. bourbon in a barrel for that long, I just, right. I don't know. I, I, I think if you were to get into the psychology of how people purchase and enjoy sure. things, that if you buy Pappy Van Winkle, I think you want it to taste good. Mm. Right, sure. There's uh, yeah. because you've spent a lot yeah, of money on it. So yeah, uh, you know, I the, the thing with us, we've talked about it. Crossing the craft beer hurdle uh, was not hard in the early '90s because yeah. you had mass market stuff and consumers could try craft beer and be like, "Holy crap, this stuff is different and it's great and whatever." Trying to cross the bourbon hurdle. Oh, God. Kentucky yeah. makes fantastic product, right? Yeah. And I, I still drink Kentucky bourbon. I drink a lot of it. You know, I drink our stuff. You know, I drink other craft distillery stuff. But it's like you, you got to bring your A game to be able to, you know, compete in that arena. And right. so it's just it's a whole different level to, to approach with it. So, you know, that's where we're continuing to grow it smartly to do the right types of investments in R&D and continue trying to raise the bar. We've always said we're not trying to make Kentucky bourbon. We're trying to make a Texas bourbon. Right. So our stuff is going to taste different because it ages in a different climate. The humidity is different. Our raw materials and water is different. It's just going to be different. But we want it to be uniquely Texan and, right. and you know, who we are. So, All right. So we have our lighting round. 
Lightning round. Uh, short questions. Don't have to be short answers. How but many answer, how, many, how many words do I get? Uh, uh, so what was your first beer that you can remember? Oh, like just first beer. Ever, yeah. First beer ever. Oh, God. I think it was a Schaefer's. Schaefer's? I don't... You never Schaefer's? had that. No, no. Not, not familiar. I was just talking with somebody. It was like a... Anyway, <laughs> as a young kid. Uh, oh, yeah. Somebody drinking Schaefer's. With salt. Uh, okay, so you said first beer. It didn't matter. No, if it no, was no. Craft it's fine. Beer. No, you just I'm said first, no, first beer. So, yeah. what was your first craft beer? Then you can remember. Or gateway craft beer. Uh, Sierra Nevada, I believe. Like the Palo, yeah. Classic Palo. Yeah. So, uh, what here at your own brewery? What's your favorite beer that you make that you would recommend to everybody, bar none? I'd say all of them. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, actually it's actually a beer that uh, we do in production every once in a while now. Yeah. It's seasonal. It's Mesquite Smoke Porter. Okay. So it's a beer that we smoke, uh, you know, 700 pounds of mesquite by hand. You grab the mesquite from West Texas? We, we grab it from kind of local ranchers yeah. who have picked oh. our grain up, so they bring it to us. But, uh, yeah, we smoke about 700 pounds per wow. mash, mash with it. You know, if you've been tried those German Roush beers and those nice meaty characters, yeah. it's just such a unique beer. And the, the problem is we all love that beer. It just has such a small market that it's just yeah. hard to keep making all the time. But I hope one day we get back to doing it. So is it like drinking meat? In some ways, yeah, some man. I mean, what? Yeah. Who doesn't like drinking bacon, bacon and meat? Yeah, come yeah. on. So, outside of your own brewery, who is your favorite brewery, and why would that be? Uh, favorite brewery, I would say, just from a, you know, I'm going to stick it local to Texas. I've always had affinity for Real Ale uh, here in, here in, in Texas. I just feel like they've been around. They've done it the right way. They they grew it small. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't go from where they're at from one year into five years. They've done it. You know, Brad up there has done a great job of creating the beers they want to do, and and you know treating his workforce right. So, uh, you know, from from a from a brewery owner perspective as well, I just you know yeah. I, I think about what beers I drink all the time. I was like, I'd pick their stuff up in the store and drink it. Anytime. Sure. So, this is actually something I forgot to ask you earlier, but obviously every brewery has their own philosophy. What is Ranger Creek's philosophy in brewing their beer, like for your your portfolio? Yeah, one of the things we really focus on is we want to use local ingredients anytime we can. Uh, so if it's local, like we do a beer every year called strawberry milk stout. So we get, you know, strawberries from Poteet, cut them by hand, put them in, put them in the boil, put them in the fermenter. Uh, that's one of the key things is like, we will like to use local ingredients anytime we can do that. I think the other thing is like trying to create something that's unique, but not so far off the edge that someone wouldn't want to have a second one of it. Uh, so not something that's like, so, so bland that it's not crafty, but not something that's so far over the edge right. that people recognize. So something that sets in the middle, I think. Something that's balanced, mm. right? Something that's not over the top, but something that's balanced. Uh, so when you're not running the brewery day to day, I mean, just like what you're doing today, I mean, what, is, what does your average day at the brewery look like, I guess? Average day at the brewery. So yeah. we've also, with the distillery too. So yeah, it's, usually, distillery. It's, it's usually always busy. So for me, because, uh, you know, when we started, you know, so I've got several different hats. So co-founder but also operations manager so overseeing all the beer and distilled spirits so for the first several years i was also a head distiller so all i did was distill right. as well until we were able to hire more people now they like literally won't let me in the back anymore to do it <laughs> they've like i've like worked myself out of a job in a way right which is great because right. those guys are doing fantastic work back there but for me in particular now it's more focused on running other aspects of the business so i kind of have the beer side management, so overseeing, working with the distributors and beer sales and new products and that sort of thing. So, I mean, our typical day is, you know, uh, we've got about three or four brews a week going on between 30 to 60 barrels. We've got, you know, two or three 
bourbon mashes going on. So trying right. to make sure that resources don't conflict inside that those guys are being able to produce without, you know, bumping into each other. Uh, you know, making sure from a business side of the standpoint that all the raw materials, you know, all the things that the guys need to do their job is taken care of. Right. Uh, you know, that and working with distributors, being on the phone, that's pretty much what I do at this point. So, and then of course I'm drinking beer sometimes. So you, well, got, sure. you got your dailies where you're testing off the tanks. Yeah. And, you know, I always said if you're drinking beer at nine in the morning and doing your job, right. that might yeah. not be a bad place to be. So are you sometimes. seven days a week still? Or are you, uh... uh, well, the facility is six days, okay. uh, you know, we're usually in here six days a week, so yeah. yeah. Uh, we try to take Sunday off at least one day a week to do that. Right. You know, we did did have a point where we were seven days, but yeah. one thing, I guess, to your earlier question about philosophy, one thing we like to do is to try to keep the brewery to a Monday, Friday. Uh, pretty much the facility, right? right? So it's a consistent schedule for all the employees and things where it's like you can have your weekend and enjoy it. And I think we, we've really tried to focus on work-life balance for everyone where it's like, hey, It's got to be tough. Yeah, it's like, you know, we want everybody to be able to enjoy their life and go do yeah. stuff and take time off. And, you know, and that's, that's the other side of not having a brewery where you're constantly focused on going from five, six, seven thousand barrels to, tw- to 100,000 barrels, right. right? That people can enjoy what they do and not feel stressed out about making it happen. Yep. Uh, what is your favorite Texas beer? Is it real L again? Well, I have to choose one of ours. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> right? The whiskey so, beer? Yeah. The Porter, I, you know, I change it up. I think uh, for us, the OPA is, is such a fantastic beer. It always has been kind of a staple of our portfolio. Um, so I would go with OPA. Although this, this Santana Lager is giving it a run for its money. I can, <laughs> I can drink three or four of these at one time. Not driving at home. Yeah. I'm good to go. Just for our local audience, have you had anything out of the uh, DFW area you liked? Uh, it's been a while since I've actually been up there. Okay. I'm trying to think uh, what I've had recently. I don't. I don't get to. I don't get to drink as much as I. <laughs> Fair I, enough. I, a lot of people think you're in this business like you don't like you drink all the time. Yeah. And right. I drink like yeah. a tenth of what yeah. I used to drink. It's it's so true about that sort of thing. So, right. um, especially when you're sampling your own product all the time. Yeah. You gotta have to want to like drink a glass of water once in a while yeah i I think i think dallas though just from uh i can pick you out a specific beer but you know we do distribute to some extent in dallas and it's growing a lot and i probably haven't made up there as much as as i need to but i think there's great beer being made out of dallas just like it's being made out of every other city here in texas so i think it's exciting overall and last question ipa or stout oh stout <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling just based on the menu. Oh, I've been a I've been a dark beer person all my life. I'll yeah. drink it in the summertime. People are like you can't drink a dark beer in the summertime. I was like, that's BS. Tell them you don't. You can do what you want. I was like, they have air conditioning right. in Texas. It's not hot <laughs> inside the, a building. All right, go yeah. drink yourself a stout. Have fun. <laughs> enjoy it. I just like the flavors. Right. Uh, that's that's just me. So yeah, you and I are right in line. All right, great. Well, T.J. Miller, Ranger Creek Brewing and Distilling. Go pick up. Uh, if you can find it on your local shelves, go pick some up. Uh, whiskey and beer. Yeah, thanks for and coming look down, for, guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. Look for the uh, San Antonio Lager. Uh, when's that coming out? Uh, next week. So next week. It's so. statewide. You guys, it's H-E-B and Primo Pick on okay. the 22nd. I think uh, Granberry is probably the closest place. that. <laughs> I know H-E-B is expanding yeah. their empire right now. Uh, I wish they would come to Dallas. And, and I, I think they are. I think that's the plan. No, well, they, they bought all those Albertsons and decided they're just going to turn and sell them. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. unfortunately. Well, I, I wish. So get great. into uh, Central Market. So, then we can or, yeah, get in, so get in with the butts at Central well, Market. Yeah, I mean, so we're – yeah. You'll see us at other places. There's Total Wine will have like you guys. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. Total Wine so has a bunch of Once we get through this initial yeah. release, then you'll be able to find this beer in particular. So by the time you hear this, San Antonio Lager will be on the shelf. Yeah, I'm not for... sure what the publish time is on this. Yeah, but... yeah it'll be uh, it'll be few, five days from now, roughly. So, yeah. It'll be on the shelf sometime around then. Yeah, and if you're looking for me, TJ Miller is not a comedian. That is not my website. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's, you're, what is your, what's your Twitter? You have a Twitter handle, right? 
I, I think it's did. Ranger Creek TJ or something uh, Ranger like Creek. that. All right. Yeah, something well, like that. anyways, yeah. if you're ever in San Antonio. A, you know, unlike some of our elected officials, I am a terrible tweeter. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> Fair enough. That's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing, yeah. All right. Keeps me out of trouble. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, guys. by Barbaco Apparel. Barbaco Apparel is a San Antonio-based independent clothing line that caters to Texans and Texans at heart. To find out more about Barbaco Apparel or to buy your favorite taco tea, go to barbacoapparel.com. So thanks again to T.J. Miller from Ranger Creek, and thanks to everybody uh, for the free beer over at, uh, yeah, at Ranger Creek. Free beer, free uh, free whiskey samples. That was nice. Oh, you uh, got that free too? That's I nice. Could be wrong. Maybe. I'm not going to – maybe not. I had to pay for my stuff, so. Scratch that. <laughs> uh, no, thanks for all the free drinks. We really appreciate no, it. Thanks for, whatever, the, uh, right? thanks for the great talk. Yeah. It was a very in-depth discussion, and uh, we didn't necessarily go in that prepared for that interview, but I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we've done enough of these. I think we can somewhat wing it. Yeah, it's somewhat. Just all our questions were initially tailored for Scott over Freetail, right. so we kind of had to scramble. And I was worried our questions were going to be too generic, but uh, ended up right. being they're turning out pretty well. We could have prepared, but we decided to drink on the river instead. Well, there was that. And but, you know, it still worked out. Yeah, so let's get into San Antonio. Um, I had been to San Antonio since I was a kid. and Really? Okay. Yeah. It's the third largest uh, city in Texas, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's. Uh, Houston, Houston's Dallas, one, yeah. San Antonio, and then Austin, I believe. Well, DFW together is two. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah, third largest city in, in Texas. somewhere, too. I don't know exactly where. And they are famous. They have number We're, we're of, not very good Texans. Yeah. They have a number of armed force bases there. They have uh, the one of the largest stock shows in the country, which is why Willie Nelson was there. Why right. We went to see Willie. And they have uh, one of the cooler downtowns, probably, maybe, probably the coolest downtown in Texas, I think. It's definitely up there, yeah. I mean, uh, if every, you, everyone, you know, we are from Dallas, and I will frankly say everyone has a better downtown than we do, mm-hmm. including Fort Worth. It's not hard to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you wanted to go to downtown, go to Fort Worth, not Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing to see except uh, <laughs> a lot of homeless and, yeah. uh, you know, loose dogs. There's and, stuff around downtown, like uptown yeah. and Deep Ellum that's nice, but, but downtown, downtown proper, specifically, not, not much going on. on. It's better than it used to be, but still yeah. not too good. It's, it's still got that uh, faint taint to it. Yes. Uh, there's a few fancy restaurants, but nobody really hangs out downtown. But yeah, Houston's better, San Antonio's better, Austin's much better. Austin's probably got the best downtown. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, but San Antonio, it depends on if you want that Riverwalky feel, yeah. which is very unique, or well, if you just want a lot of cool different places to hang out. I think Austin probably offers more of that. I think Austin's more bohemian. Yeah. San Antonio is more like, it's like the middle aged. I don't know. San Antonio is like a destination to go, like, part of your ass off type right. thing. That's The Riverwalk's kind of a. Like clubbing on a fake river type vibe yeah. with a bunch of margs and yeah. Tex Mex and yeah. yeah, it's cool though. It's uh, for those that have been downtown. It's uh, it's there's the area called the Riverwalk and it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there's a big river flowing down through downtown and one of the places you can walk around with open container, right? Exactly. Which is few and far between in Texas. Yeah, it doesn't happen very much. And uh, there's boats take giving people tours up and down the river. And there's tons of bars and restaurants and and. And uh, up and down the the river, you just walk up and down drinking and having a good time. It's it's really it's a lot pretty in drinking. It's really pretty down there in, in the River Rock too. Yeah, and they do some minor uh, boat tours. Uh, Elaine and I went probably about 
I don't know, three or four years ago at this point. And we did one of the boat tours, and they go, and they're a little cheesy, but at the same time, yeah. it's kind of cool. It goes down some of the architecture, some of the specific buildings and time right. frames, and how the river was built and how it works and all that kind of stuff. So and learn about the history of Texas. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you want a little bit of that, it's yeah. it's not bad. It's like five bucks. It's right. not a big deal. Uh, or they have the taxis also that'll take you all around if you need to do that as well. Which that whole area, the hill country, the San Antonio, Houston, uh, Austin area, is where a lot of the battles for Texas independence were fought. Sure, yeah. And, of course, San Antonio being most famous for the Alamo, which is where the uh, martyrs of the Alamo all died fighting in Santa Ana. Right. And uh, would later and we go we sold his leg and yeah. wouldn't give it back to Mexico. <laughs> exactly. As you can see in King of the Hill. And uh, that would later lead to, they would become kind of the symbol for the Texas Revolution against Mexico and lead to the Battle of San Jacinto, which they would later win. Yep, absolutely. Independence. But small, tiny history lesson there. Yes. I enjoyed San Antonio. I, I think it's definitely more family-oriented than uh, something like Austin is. I think Austin is definitely more for the swing and single. Yeah, I mean, if you're a swing and single, I'm sure you can have quite a good time on the Riverwalk, too. Probably. Um, but, yeah, it's not, it's a little more... Uh, Austin is more of the swinging hipster. Yeah. Uh, and when I say hipster, I just mean, like, younger crowd, right. I yeah, guess. That, I mean, right. depends on where you go. There's parts of Austin that's fine for yeah. people in your mid-30s, too. But, right. like... You go to Sixth Street or something if you're like a young, young cool yeah. that just wants to go have you a want, out. If you want the Texas version of Bourbon Street, right, where people are vomiting on the street and you know things like that. Yeah, from, the Riverwalk is not that. No, no, it's definitely like. Although there are drunk people that fall in the river all the time. So well, yeah, yeah, there um, there are no rails along the Riverwalk. Right. So yeah, drunk people and and uh, a river don't make for a great combo. Right. An open river, yeah, yeah. So it, it's a fun town. Yeah. If there's also like SeaWorld down there and. Uh, Oh, uh, what's the amusement park they, they have? have? Fiesta, Fiesta Texas. Yeah, they got that. Yeah, things like that. But it's definitely not. I don't think it's a place I would return to like, all, like yearly. Like I could see myself Austin, but yeah. Uh, but it's definitely a fun downtown area. Yeah, once every you know five ten years maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I don't have like a strong attraction to go to Fiesta Texas or SeaWorld. So. Sure. Uh, outside of that, and I'm not a big sports fan, so I don't really care about the Spurs or yeah, uh, whatever else is down there. That's it. Uh, well, there's some other major stadium down there that we couldn't figure out who played there. So I know the only major sport they have is Spurs, but right. Well, there was some giant stadium. Yeah. So we were there to see Willie Nelson, and uh, the reason we went to San Antonio was the tickets for Willie's Dallas show back in December. It was a lot smaller uh, and a lot more intimate. Yeah, it was at the Granada. It was a two night show, and I had tried to get tickets, and I had them in my cart. And within the first minute, and I went to pay, went to the next screen, they took my tickets away from me. And the whole show saw the, sold out within 23 seconds, both shows. And then if you wanted to get tickets, they were like three or $400. Yeah. Yeah, apparently the bots just went wild, and the Granada got a ton of criticism for that. Sure. So we went to the next, uh, next best plan, which is San Antonio. We could have gone to San Antonio, or we could have gone to Lubbock. Which was yeah. that in way west Texas. Or Oklahoma. Uh, west of where we grew up. So Yeah. Windstar Oklahoma. probably would have been the second best choice after San Antonio, but still. So we still just, Oklahoma. Yeah. We decided to go to San Antonio. Because we, we've been to Windstar before, and it's not the best uh, viewing experience. Right. So uh, we went there, and it, he was playing after the stock show and rodeo, and it's, like I said, it's one of the biggest stock shows in the nation. We, amazingly enough, decided to skip the rodeo. Yeah. Uh, exactly. We started at 7 and didn't show up until 9.30 when he was going to go on. Yeah, we, we drove about five hours from Dallas. Kind of initially, we thought we were going to be in a hurry, but uh, we found out he wasn't actually going to go on for two hours past the end of the time listed on the ticket. So uh, when we walked in, the first thing I noticed, it was at the AT&T Center, which is where the Spurs play. 
And I noticed that I was probably the only person in the entire building wearing cargo shorts. <laughs> yeah. And in, uh, we were definitely among the few gentlemen not wearing straw or felt cowboy hats. Yeah, I was going to say, going in just in a t-shirt and jeans, I didn't yeah. really fit in either. I felt kind of out of, I felt really out of place. <laughs> there was a lot of cowboy love in there. There was a lot yeah. of, uh, I don't know, just an element that even though we live in Texas, we don't get around too often. Just not a common thing. Yeah, it's not necessarily anti that element, just not a thing I'm around much. Well, despite the popular notion, like, yeah, we see people with cowboy hats, sure, on, on regularly, but it's True. not like every other person in Texas is wearing a cowboy hat at all times. Like, right. here, good friend, I see not one person wearing a cowboy hat. I see one baseball cap. I do see another guy with cargo shorts, too. Yeah, exactly. I, I see a few people with khaki shorts of any variety. Exactly. But uh, there were this was like kind of like cowboy prom season, I guess. Oh, yeah. Cowboy absolutely. prom, because everybody's dressed to the nines and their duds. And and the funniest thing I believe I saw was two uh, macho cowboy guys behind me coming up and ordering uh, some kind of fruity mixed drinks from it was, the bartender. Uh, cranberry vodkas. Yeah, it was cranberry vodkas. Yeah. And they, they weren't for their wives. They were for them. No, they were for them. Oh, I yeah. just... I did not expect it, just based on them talking and how country they sounded. Not exactly. Doesn't normally mix doesn't with cranberry really vodka. Up. But it's a delicious drink. Yeah, sure. Nothing wrong with a cranberry vodka. Yeah, absolutely. They so, ordered four of them. If you want to get drunk and clean out your urinary tract, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so one thing I've always wondered is, this has been popular fashion for cowboy hats for a long time, is the over the really skinny, like meth out skinny guy... It's yeah. super tall, string bean, that wears the giant cowboy hat that's almost a size. It's like a white man's sombrero. Right. That has, like, the red piping on it. And then the front is so big, you could, like, shovel an entire, like, a mess of enchiladas on that <laughs> thing and scoop it into your mom's mouth or something. Sure. What is the deal with that hat? I can't begin to speak it, on cowboy fashion of any kind. It's so big, it's literally like those meth out cowboys. It's almost as wide as their shoulders. I don't understand that look. I don't think I've owned a pair of cowboy boots or cowboy hats since I was, like, 10. It's just, it's one, it's one of the odd things, like, other than that, I mean, redneck fashion is kind of consistent, generally, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, around your fancier duds, but that one just throws me for a loop. I don't understand that. It seems awkward. It seems to be, yeah, you almost look like, they kind of look like the cowboy version of the Flying Nun, to <laughs> issue a uh, popular reference, a modern reference, Sally Field's the Flying Nun. Right. I think they might just fly away to some comedic situation <laughs> at any minute, some uh, cowboy comedic, maybe, like, maybe it's possible. Maybe they'll fly away to like be dragged away to Green Acres sure. to deal with, uh, <laughs> or right. uh, some, some, something uh, mildly offensive on a TBS, a CBS sitcom from the 60s. Right. Uh, one thing we did notice is that we definitely missed out on the good beer. True. Uh, we, I opted for Shiner. You found a Miller Lite because it was just a generic yeah. beer booth. And then we the, the turned we, a corner and we there was Gene Simmons rocking, I love this rock and roll beer. So, uh, and music and brews or some. I don't know. We have one in Plano that we haven't been to. Yeah. But it's supposed to be. Which we may at some point. Yeah. It's supposed to be a craft beer bar. And right. we noticed that after we'd already gotten our beer, and so right, they you said they did have Freetail in there, and they had a few others. Yeah, they had a few local San Antonios there for sure, and a, you know Lagunitas and Epic yeah. and stuff too. But still better than better than your generic Miller Lite, right? Which so we missed out on that because once you get in your seat at a concert, mm-hmm. this was just uh, this a full on stadium. It's kind of hard to get out and get beer. <clears throat> oh yeah, we but, were we were near the top also. Yeah, we had, yeah we had nosebleeds as we found out. It yeah. didn't, didn't seem that way in the diagram, but. Yeah, uh, and whatever. you know, there were $30 each over ticket price, too. Yeah. So we did miss the uh, opening number, which is Whiskey River by Willie Nelson. Right. Uh, we were in line to get my wife a t-shirt, and I didn't think it was going to go on for a while, because it looked like they were still doing the roadie, and there's supposed to be a 20-minute intermission, but yeah. they just went right into it, I guess, because he's, you know, 83. Yeah. 
and he had to probably dart at his Metamucil and <laughs> ready to go down for the night. But whatever it is, yeah. And we should note that before we get into you know rampantly complaining about him, he is coming off a long illness, right? And he is eighty three, so those two make for uh, <laughs> probably really tough to perform after that. And this is his first performance back after being ill, so right. And he had canceled several weeks worth of shows. Yeah, and I will say one really cool thing about his setup, which I think other musicians could do in major venues like that, is he had a rotating stage. Yeah, I so everybody cool. got like a front view of him. Yeah, and I just I think most people should do that if you're in a circular stage. Don't uh, like the Garth Brooks one. I guess he kind of ran around to the different areas, and maybe mm. that's just because Willie's a lot older, so they yeah. didn't want him to have to move as much, but. Still, I think the rotation—you could leave the whole band in place, and you just move them around, yeah. and everybody gets a view. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, I was worried at the beginning when he started because it was a lot of talk singing. Rather than sing, he would hold his uh, hand up to his ear and have the crowd sing for a while. Right. And I thought, well, you know, eighty-three, sick, whatever. I, I understand. It's really disappointing, though. Yeah. And I was worried for the rest of the show. But I will say he, he did get stronger in the second half. Oh, absolutely. He got a lot stronger in the second half. His voice got stronger. He seemed to get, especially once he started doing more picking songs, mm-hmm. uh, he seemed to get more interested in it and really get into it more. His guitar playing is still strong. Yeah. Uh, they frequently, on the Jumbotron, they would focus on his hands yeah. and his guitar trigger, which was cool to see his guitar because he he's never had that thing repaired. Right. He's never had it refaced. He's never used any other guitar. That thing is beat to high holy. Uh, I think they said since 69. He hasn't used yeah. a different one. Yeah. it's. I mean, it looks like it's just been through war. Because it's got this deep gouge in it from where he's picked yeah. over the years and brushed his hand and it's just raw wood. Right. Uh, it was it was really cool to see. And his, yeah, he's got these long, bony fingers, real gnarled, <laughs> but he's still picking pretty well Yeah, for some guy in his 80s. And, like, just facially speaking, I mean, you know, when he lifts his arms up and everything, they look very 83. Yeah. But it, in the face, he really doesn't look that different than, no. like, the last at least 20, 30 years. No, he hasn't. I don't think he's H and C Hall was on. Yeah. Um. He has really has not aged in the face, but you can tell just watching him. You can see he's feeling his age. Oh yeah, sure. Now I, I thought it was funny in the very beginning, like the first half of the show, he was pretty much playing all country shuffle songs, right? And that drummer had no interest in following him, right? Uh, many times. Now Willie's one of those musicians that he's he just released like a jazz album, jazz covers album. Yeah, I think he's always been more of a jazzy country guy in a lot of ways. Just watching sure. videos and stuff, and he'll just change time signatures on you at the drop of a hat. Right. But you would think a guy that had been in Willie's band, as he has been for decades, he could have some notion of that and follow along. He sure. just had no interest. Like, And he was, it's not like he was playing like a, a Neil Perth kit, like with 53 you know, toms and 73 cymbals. Right. It's, it was, he was playing a snare with brushes, and that's it. Yeah, not that not that hard to change, to change time signatures. Yep. But he had no interest in doing that. The keyboardist is pretty good. Yeah, she was she was pretty good. They, did, uh, they featured her a couple times solo. Yeah, I actually thought Willie was distracting because she she had a, a solo song. Yeah, and he came in and trying to was trying to pick behind her. And I thought he kind of yeah. distracted from her song because <laughs> he wasn't following he wasn't following her beat. Right, and she wasn't paying attention to him. Right, so that was kind of disconcerting. But it's Willie Nelson and friends. So yeah, whatever he wants to do. Yeah, friend doesn't matter as much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but like I said, I was worried at the first half. I was like, ah. Clearly, we're, catching, we're obviously catching him on the downside of the career. I mean, he is 83, but right. I was hoping for a stronger show. But he did get strong in the second half. Yeah, I think so. And then I will say the last thing I noticed is that, especially towards the end of the song, and I can understand this, uh, having probably just had gone through that really tough illness, it seems like he was really focused on death songs. Um, yeah. Like, it was almost, it almost in a way felt like a good concert. Yeah, it kind of did. Because he uh, ended with Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. 
And then he didn't, uh, after that, the last song before the, we left uh, was the Johnny Cash arrangement of All Fly Away. Right. And it just seemed, it was kind of morbid in a way. Yeah, and, true. I mean, it wasn't bad. It just was kind of, and Roll Me Up and Smoke Me was good, and everybody seemed to enjoy that, but the, it just, I don't know, it seemed like he was saying goodbye in a way. <laughs> no, I get. I mean, I get that, and he is 83, so. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe he's going to keep on playing until he dies, I don't know, but. Yeah, sure. He's probably feeling, he's probably this after. This is a pretty major tour he's on for yeah. his age, too. I mean, I don't know how many stops. It's got to be over 40. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot for that age. He's probably feeling his age, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't blame him. It was definitely a packed house, and people definitely loved him. Yeah. Yeah, and the um, the final note I thought was kind of boss was they rolled in in the middle of the stadium for him to leave the stage. A bunch and, of Lincoln Navigators. Yeah, a bunch of Lincoln, Nav- <laughs> Lincoln Navigators and the whole band. Right up next to the stage, so yeah. he had to barely walk out of there. Yep. Like, we heard the whole concert. We just were in the tunnel to get yeah. out of there. Yeah, we were just to avoid traffic. We stood there right. until his last song, but uh, that was pretty pretty much a boss move. So. <laughs> Yeah, he has this giant timer on the stage that yeah, you can see as it rotates around. It was, right when it hits 60, he's like, he was done. see you later. <laughs> yeah. Well, see you later. Yep. Pretty much like Scooby-Doo in a puff of smoke, it runs out of there. But I would still give it uh, two flaming thumbs up. I liked it. Oh, of course. I mean, I regret never having seen Merle Haggard or Waylon Jennings or yeah. never got to see Johnny. Um, I'm glad I got to see Merle once. I, I'm glad I got to see Will and Nelson. So, I'm, yeah, yeah, I give it two thumbs up. It's definitely, if you respect that that era of country music. Yeah. Uh and you have to go see him. As go see someone him. who's also seen, you know, another old, just an old performer, yeah. in Bob Dylan, who doesn't have it anymore. Right. Um, it's nice to see Willie, who actually, from for most of it, still does have it. Yeah. Like it's not going to be as strong as it was when he was fifty. Yeah. But he still has it pretty much, and uh, like his voice is not gone, and it's it's pretty strong. So it was. It, I feel like if he does it too much longer, he might be kind of pushing it. But yeah. For now, uh, I would say if you get him on this tour, I think he'd still be. You'd still be pleased. Yeah, it's definitely still worth the watch. I think it's worth the price of admission. Uh, I wish we could have seen him at the Granada, but it didn't work out. So, overall, I, I give the, the trip overall. San Antonio, two thumbs up. Yeah, me too. Willie, two thumbs up. I yeah. give us two thumbs up. Of course. All right, well, thanks for listening to uh, episode 88 of Brew Bloods. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for all your support. Uh, if you thanks for sticking around through a music review, if you did, yeah, thanks for listening to the post game show, the San Antonio post game. Uh, if you do us a favor, release a review on iTunes. We would uh, we would really appreciate it. Check us out on the social networks: Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have any feedback on the show, you can email us at brewbloodshow at gmail.com. and you can call us at four six nine five seven three beer. That's four six nine five seven three two three three seven. And if you want to listen to another show with us, we do have the break room, which right. uh, shows up occasionally. We're on there. Just go to breakroom.tv for all the links for that. It's uh, definitely. Uh, more NSFW. Yeah. And less important. And be, more sure to, ra- be, less- be sure to subscribe to this show. And it's considerably more random. So. Right. All right. We'll catch you guys uh, next week for episode 89 of Bloods. For Dustin, I'm Mark. For Mark, I'm Dustin. Probst. Probst. Probst.